Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. My name is Chris. I'm glad to be with you today. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 16. And before we read, um, t- today is a, a doozy, actually. It's, um, scholars would, would, would say, probably without qualification, this is the most difficult parable in the New Testament. So just put your seatbelts on, get ready for it. Um, it's the hardest to understand. There's a sentence or two in this that I just honestly have no idea what Jesus is talking about. And that doesn't mean he's wrong. It just means I, I don't know what he means. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to not duck the, the Bible today. And I'm, it's one of the reasons, it's actually one of the things that I'm so actually so grateful for regarding our Anglican tradition is that the Bible comes to us rather than us coming to the Bible and picking and choosing like we would food at a buffet. Um, we get to, to have sometimes really challenging and hard to understand scriptures come to us and we get to hold those and honor the authority of the Bible and we get to hear what we can hear. We get to try to listen to Jesus. And I think that increasingly in our world, um, it, there are more and more people who are, are not willing or not able to, to listen to Jesus, to give Jesus a hearing. And so today we're going to listen to him. We're just going to, we're going to let Jesus speak. And I, I'll just say there are going to be things in this that you won't get but there will be some stuff that you will. And so rather than being distracted by what we don't understand, I believe there's an invitation for us to hold on to what we can receive from him because there's certainly goodness in this text for us today. Powerful stuff. Um, I woke up this morning feeling afraid and I couldn't even tell you why. Um, I just was sitting in my, my uh, living room with um, a cup of coffee in my hand and, and just quieting my heart before God and I I just felt a, a feeling of fear. I just thought, God, where is that coming from? And, and what does it mean? And it was, um, it was hard for me because, you know, when you, we got to come up and get up here and do these things, like when you start your day feeling afraid, that's not a great space to start the day. So today I've just been so acutely thankful for that last song. Uh, in the first service, I was sitting over there on the, um, on the front row and just felt so seen by God in that, like that I'm no longer a slave to fear. And it felt the same in the second service. And so I just want to say to you today that if you are feeling afraid or whatever it is you're feeling that's not clear or doesn't feel hopeful or helpful, I just want to say I believe that one of the gifts we can receive from God is that we're seen by him, we're known by him, we're, we're loved by him. I think that one of the mistakes we make is that when we don't see, we worry that God can't see. Um, maybe today you're in a place where you're not seeing things very clearly. Maybe today is a, um, a, a day and a season for you where it just doesn't feel clear. And uh, I have made this mistake in my own life that sometimes when I don't think I'm very clear, I wonder whether God loses sight of me and what concerns me. And I just want to say, I don't think he does. Today, I, I just felt like, okay, Lord, um, just as simple words as a, a song that Marty would sing and that Perry would sing. Um, really reminded me, God, you, you see me. I'm afraid, and you tell me I don't have to be a slave to that. And so I just want to say the Lord sees you, even if you don't see him. Um, I, that's important to know, I think. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him. And said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. And then the manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master 
is taking the position away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm dismissed as a manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 50. And then he asked another, how much do you owe? And he replied, a hundred containers of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly for the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. Now here's the verse I do not understand. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. (laughs) Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. Whoever is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If you then, who have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask you to help us. We pray that you would help us quiet our hearts and listen to you, Jesus. We pray, God, that today as we, um, with our Western minds, try to wrestle with an Eastern, ancient, powerful teaching of Jesus, that you would help us to hear what we can and not be distracted by what we can't. We pray, God, that you would speak to us, not just Jesus about you, but about our own lives. Today, this is a This is a story that, Jesus, you chose to tell us about us. And we pray that you'd help us to hear it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I said it at the beginning, this is the the most difficult parable in the New Testament. Um, There are uh, commentators who actually in their commentaries just said, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to talk about it. And that's not encouraging when you're a pastor and you feel like you have to go there and talk about it and you read... Smarter women and men than yourself go, yep, not, not going to do it. Um, and yet here we are because it's our job not to actually dissect a text and to know everything that can be known. But I think it's our job as Christians to try to listen to Jesus in a text, to hear the invitation. And so that's literally simply what we're going to do. We're going to try to not know everything that can be known about what was in Jesus's mind here, but we're going to try to receive truth from him and let him speak to us, let him say things to us about our world. I think that, that it's always helpful when you're reading the Bible to understand the culture of the Bible. Uh, Jesus was, is not um, a Western person. Uh, Jesus is, a, is an ancient Eastern person. Uh, Christianity is a, is a Near Eastern Semitic religion. It's a, more of an Eastern religion than a Western religion, and we tend to forget that. I think, in the United States. And so today, um, it's always important to know the culture. But today, I think it's actually most important that we know the culture in which Jesus uh, speaks because there are things that he says in this text that leave us cold, that feel distracting to us, and even maybe offensive, like commending a shrewd person who's kind of a bad guy, that for Jesus's hearers would not have been controversial at all. They would, have, they would have heard things that he said and they would have said, oh, we totally get what he's saying. And there is a difference between our culture and Jesus's and we need to know at least what some of those differences might look like. We'll, we'll do our best to hear it. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna put two sets of slides up. The first one I'll 
do one by one like we normally do. And it's, it's literally going to be a telling of the story because we need to know the story. Uh, we got to let the story. Jesus could have, um, he was saying some stuff about some stuff. And he could have chosen any way to say what he wanted to say. Uh, the second slide is going to be like, what is Jesus saying? Like what was true then and true today? But if we don't understand what he said, then we won't get to what he, what he means for you today. So we need to hear Jesus. We need to hear his choice. He had unlimited freedom to say whatever he wanted to say about the truth that he wanted to, to share. And he chose this story. He chose to tell this story. So we're just going to let Jesus say some stuff to us today, even if it feels hard or confusing. And then we're going to do another set of slides where we're going to say, what, what's the truth here that would have been true for his hearers in that Eastern world, but is also true for you and me today here in the 21st century? I think there are a couple of questions that we have to consider. Is the, is the owner, the master, a good guy or a bad guy? Is the manager a good guy or a bad guy? Those are big questions that I think we're all meant to, to hold. And, and I think the more poignant question is that when you realize that you're the bad guy, what do you do? And that's what Jesus is doing. He, he's actually pushing you in a direction with this story. And he's, he's nudging us to say, um, spoiler alert, you're the bad guy. What do you do when you realize you're the bad guy? So just let that land, because that's what Jesus is trying to get us to see. And then we're going to try to let him show us what he wants to show us. So here's the flow of the story. Number one, the rich man calls his manager to account for squandering his resources. He actually says, what is this? You cannot work for me any longer. You never want to hear your boss say that to you. You, you don't want to be called into the office and have her say, what is this? You can't work here anymore. That's exactly what this man hears. He's been caught in some sort of shady enterprise. We don't exactly know what it was, but it has something to do with like playing fast and loose with, the, with his boss's expectations and then playing fast and loose with people's resources. There's something in the middle that's just gross. Like those of you that are in the financial sector probably know this story. Like you've probably been in, in, in conversations where this literal thing has happened. Um, I'm just a pastor. So I know he's just shady. Something weird's going on and he just got caught. So he was sort of spinning it out, maybe hoping it would all work out in the end and that nobody would be any for the wiser. But whatever it is, he gets caught and he gets called into his boss's office and the boss says, you have blown my money. You, this is not your money you have wasted. This is not your money that you're playing fast and loose with. This is my money. And I think this actually brings us to the point of understanding stewardship. And this guy, he didn't have the assets. The assets belonged to his master, his boss. And his boss is saying, you are playing fast and loose with my resources, my stuff. And he calls him into account and he fires him. He says, you are fired. So what happens in this story is that this man now has a devastated reputation and he is now facing unemployment. So the second thing we see in the story that Jesus chooses to tell is that the disgraced manager begins to take matters into his own hands. He goes to the people who owe his boss money. This was done in an attempt to repair his own devastated reputation. At this point, and at no point in the story, does the manager uh, think altruistic thoughts about his boss. 
There's not one hint of him going, man, I really let him down. I've got to make this right. I, I just want to be invited back into his house. He only wants to be invited into other people's houses. He sees that it's too late. And he basically says, I got to hustle in order to fix my own reputation. He's not thinking about his boss. There, there's no moment in the story that Jesus tells. All he's thinking about is I got to do some things so that one day somebody else is going to hire me. I've got to be able to do some stuff in order to land on my feet. There's no loyalty here in the disgraced manager's heart. He's doing what he can to take care of himself. He's actually being relatively, maybe even exclusively selfish. He is thinking like, I got to hustle in order to get things right so that I will land on my feet. And what this story tells us, Jesus is choosing to tell a story about how crisis can get you moving. He is telling a story about how a crisis of being caught is now motivating the manager to hustle and to move in order to repair what can be repaired. What we see here is a kind of classic jailhouse conversion. We just see this guy basically being caught and thinking it may be too little too late, but I'm going to try to do something in order to address the mess that I'm in. His motivation, again, is almost surely selfish, but he's finally acting like a manager. Whatever he wasn't doing, now he's doing, and he's doing it with selfish motivation, but he's actually acting like a manager. He's thinking like, I got to fix some stuff because if I don't fix some stuff, I'm not going to have a job in the future with other people. So what does he do? He goes to people who owe his boss money and he begins to act as a liaison as if he'd worked out and had permission to do this work with his boss. He's actually speaking on behalf of the guy who has not said, go and speak on behalf of me. So what does he do? He begins to reduce debts without gaining permission from his boss. You owe 150, you owe 180. He's like making deals and he's making deals in a way where anyone that he's making deals with would have thought that he was acting on behalf of his boss. He's not. He's just like hustling. And they assume, surely, boss man has given us permission to pay less. That is not the case. That's actually not what's happened in this story. So people begin to negotiate and pay their negotiated portion of their debt. And the formerly disgraced man reverses his reputation. He's no longer disgraced. And the third and last thing we see in the story Jesus tells is that his former boss actually commends the manager for his willingness to make the most of a bad situation. He wins favor because he was shrewd. Now, very few of you want people to say about you at your funeral, she was super shrewd. <laughs> Didn't have a lot going for him, shrewd. Had that going for him. And yet the, the boss... The owner says, at least you were shrewd. The owner now is being praised in the, in the village for being a generous man. He didn't know he was being generous. And yet he begins to hear people in the streets say, he's reduced debts, like he's being super generous. And now the owner is being lauded by people out in the streets for doing the right thing, for doing a gracious thing. And he looks at the manager and he says, you may be super shady, but you have done something shrewd here. And this is confusing. Like words like dishonest and children of this age confuse us. Why would Jesus commend a bad guy in a story like this? But as strange as it would sound to our own ears, this is where knowing something about the culture of the day is really important. 
Um, it would have been confusing for Jesus' hearers for the man to be shamed for his shrewd behavior. Those listening to Jesus 2,000 years ago, if he had said, bad guy did bad things, it was too little too late, we're not going to commend him, they would have been very confused because of the culture in which Jesus lived. Some of us, many of us, would deeply struggle. Maybe you stop cold and think, how in the world could a dishonest man be an exemplar to us? And yet Jesus' hearers would have struggled to believe that the man who had the courage to act in this manner would have been criticized for his action. I will admit to you that I don't understand the words and I tell you make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. I have no idea what that means. I have a doctoral degree. They did not teach me that. I don't know what it means, but here's what I do. I do know this. I do understand these words. No slave can serve two masters for the slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. I do know what that means. And that's what Jesus leaves us with. So I believe that we have an opportunity here to go, what is Jesus actually saying to us? And the gift of sitting in a text is that what we're not going to do in the next few moments is say what Jesus has said everywhere and at all times in the Bible. We're going to look at this story that he chose to tell, and we're going to say in this instance, what is Jesus saying about faithfulness? There are other things Jesus said that are not this, that are different, that are addressing different things. Today, we're going to let Jesus tell us a story, and we're going to hear what Jesus would have to say. And I believe it has something to say about where you're living, maybe, where we're living in terms of our individual story. So we're going to walk through a new set. So clear the books. That's the story. Take them away. Now we're going to do a new set. Number one. Jesus is saying who you are in the small things speaks to who you will be when the stakes are high. Here's how he says it. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. Whoever is dishonest in a very little is also is going to be dishonest also in much. If you then have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, again, that stewardship idea, who will give you what is your own? This statement directly after the story that Jesus tells proves that while commending the man's behavior in the midst of a circumstance, a bad situation that he authored, Jesus is not validating the guy's character. He's not saying the ends justify the means, but what he is saying is when you find yourself in a mess, there's some things you need to figure out how to do. And I believe that it's really important for us to recognize that Jesus is saying, as a rascal, you made a good choice but you shouldn't be a rascal. But if you are a rascal, what's the good choice? And that's hard for us to hear because many of us, we have a vision of ourselves that we think has to be true. And it's usually the best vision of your own motives and your own life. And we think I've got to be better than, than maybe I really am. And so I believe that one of the things Jesus is doing in a story like this, he's saying, when you find out you're the bad guy in the story, what are you supposed to do in response to that? How are you meant to respond? And so the second thing Jesus is showing us in this story is this, faithfulness in this context. And that parenthetical statement is really important. It's not faithfulness, period. This is not just a definition of faithfulness. In this story, faithfulness is described as making the most of the hand you're currently holding. And I just want you to hear that. Let Jesus tell you that. Now, faithfulness in another teaching of Jesus is holiness, faithfulness, 
um, walking the walk, living in the light, having clean hands and a pure heart. In this story, Jesus is saying faithfulness is making the most of the hand you're currently holding. What he's trying to get us to see here is that there's always a way forward. Even if the hand you are holding is a mess because of something you did to make it a mess. In this story, the guy is holding a bad hand and it's because of his own lack of character. So if you find that you're holding a bad hand in a relationship, in your job, in your health, because of choices that you contributed and made, Jesus would say, rather than live in denial or self-pity, what do you do? What happens next? I think this is actually a really important moment in the teaching ministry of Jesus. God doesn't want you to mess things up, but when you do, he wants you to know that there is a way to move forward. So I just want to ask you, what kind of hand are you holding right now? What regrets and what shame do you feel? Rather than denying those things or falling into self-pity or becoming defensive and angry, how might God be inviting you to acknowledge reality and then make the most of the hand that you're currently being dealt and that you're handed, the hand that you contributed to? The third thing in this story that I think is actually really important is this story invites us to ask, where am I? Or maybe we would put it more, more poignantly, this story is Jesus asking, where are you? Do you remember in the first pages of our Bible when Adam and Eve, the first humans, realized they were sinning and they hid? What did God ask? Where are you? Like the first thing Jesus says to you and me is, where are you when we hide? The first thing the Father said in the garden when people hid was, where, where are you? Um, God's always asking, where are you? He's always wanting us to ask, where am I? And so I want to ask you this question, where are you? If you have not made a mess of things, that is awesome. Don't start now. Like, if you haven't made a mess, like, this is great news. Like, you are probably like six months old as a human, but good for you. Like, stay in that space as long as you can. But when you have squandered some or much of what has been entrusted to you. Jesus is saying, I want you to own it and I want you to move forward. You cannot wave a magic wand and fix your marriage. Let, let's take it into a more benign, if you have high blood pressure that is not just genetic, but you've contributed to it through stress and a lack of health, you, you cannot just wave a magic wand over that and go, fixed, solved, done. But what you can do is say, things aren't where I thought they would be. What does it look like for me to be faithful right here, right now? That's true in your health. It's true in your relationships. It's true in your walk with God. It's true in your walk with other people. What does it look like for me to acknowledge where I am and move forward hoping for a redemptive story. Now, this story is not a happily ever after story. He was still fired. There were still people that whispered about him. There were still people who judged and maligned, some because they had him all right and figured him out, and some because they didn't. They just believed the worst. Whatever it is, this guy had complication that he had to walk through. But what Jesus is asking us to consider here is where we actually are. What kind of hand are you holding? What does it look like? And I believe that he wants us to understand that if we're still breathing, there is a way forward. The outcome may not be what you want it to be, 
Most all of us, if we're honest, we look at our lives and we're not where we thought we would be. We're not where we thought we would be in our jobs, our relationships, and um, our health, or whatever it is. We, we're just not where we thought we would be. So then Jesus would say, well, where are you? And what does it look like to be faithful right where you are? I believe that there is a real invitation for us to live in a place of reality. And that's really hard. It's hard for me to live in reality. It's hard, I'm sure, for you as well. And yet Jesus says, I want you to be as honest as you can. I want you to be honest with me. And I want you to learn how to move forward. The last thing I think Jesus is trying to get us to see here is he, his deepest desire is that we not squander or serve the resources that have been entrusted to us. I, um, yeah, the whole thing with the death of the queen, I, I don't know how you feel about the queen. I really like her. I think she loved Jesus and... Um, She's super old, and she's, she died, and she's gone to be with the Lord. And um, the, we lived in England a long time ago, and uh, the thing I love about um, those stories is they're just so, like, English culture so far from us, like, especially the super rich people, you know, and then you got servants in the house. And the thing about being a steward is that you know that the silverware doesn't belong to you, like it belongs to her, and you're just cleaning it up and putting it out. And I think that one of the things we forget in our, in our world is we forget that we don't own all the stuff, like that the gifts we have, the talent we have, the, the, the influence we have, it's not ours, it's God's, and he's asking us to steward it. And I think we forget that to our own peril. And one of the things that Jesus is trying to get us to see here is he's saying, don't waste God's stuff. Don't, and don't serve it as if it's yours. Um, know what's yours and what's not yours and where the responsibility is. And I think that there's a real invitation for each and every one of us to consider what's his and what's, what's not ours, that we've been entrusted with something. And maybe that's how the guy got in trouble. I don't know. Maybe he got in trouble because he just thought, this is mine. And then it got weird. And so I just want to say to you that if you have mishandled the hand, if you have made a mess of things, and most all of us have in one way or another, there is an opportunity for us to say, okay, what now? Your health may not be totally fixed. You, you may not get a mulligan on that relationship or in that job. But what you can do is move forward and demonstrate faithfulness in this story. Jesus is telling us this story for a reason. Because he actually wants to get us out of abstracted spaces into real spaces. And there's no space like the hardest spaces in your life to begin to say, what's my hand? How did I contribute? And what does it mean for me to move forward as best as I can, making the most with what I have? So here's the question we're going to ask ourselves. What are you currently, where are you currently holding a bad hand? And how might you engage in redemptive action despite less than perfect circumstances? I actually think if Jesus were standing in this room, that's what he would ask us to consider. He'd be like, where does it feel bad? And what is God inviting you to do in the middle of a kind of tough situation? That's what this story is inviting us to see. So we're going to be still for a couple of moments. Uh, we're going to ask questions that you won't be able to answer in two minutes, you know, I just know. Like, so you can get your phone out if you want. This may be a good one to hold for the week. Um, and we're going to begin to ask the question, where am I holding the bad hand? So let's do that together just for a few moments, and then we'll come to communion after a moment of silence.
we're able to stand together.